The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 38, Bad Hegel Continued. Episodes 38 and 39 form an essential unit, separated only for time restraints and intellectual density. They should not be considered separate episodes. As we saw last time, in order to salvage Enlightenment claims to absolute knowledge, Hegel denies transcendence, embracing immanence alone by means of his dialectical logic. The problem however, does not lie in the existence of this powerful tool, but in its replacement of Aristotelian logic, its claim to logical exclusivity, as expressed in his philosophy of right. Quote, It has indeed been recognized that the forms and rules of the older logic, of definition, classification, and inference, which include the rules of the understanding's cognition, are inadequate for speculative science. End quote. As I've said before, Aristotle's law of non-contradiction represents the logic of being, and served as the rational order of thought since ancient times. In order to salvage the Enlightenment's elevation of reason to highest good, forbidden by Kant, Hegel invents, adopts, refines, a logic which actively embraces contradiction, the logic of becoming, of process. The costs of sowing this wind, as we began to point out last time, are staggeringly high. And the whirlwind we reap today is in no small part the consequence of it. By reducing transcendence to imminence, being to becoming, turning what is into a realm of shadows, and making that unitary rational process absolute, we lose the diversity and value of the real, of being as limit to rational speculation, of being as limit to rational speculation. From his Science of Logic, quote, The system of logic is the realm of shadows, the world of simple essentialities, freed of all sensuous concretion. To study this science, to dwell and to labor in this realm of shadows, is the absolute culture and discipline of consciousness. End quote. If instead we properly subordinate becoming to being, Hegelian logic to Aristotelian logic, Retain the law of non-contradiction, but allow for the contextualized use of dialectical logic, 
logic becomes a more powerful and comprehensive explanatory tool. This requires, however, a separation between how we think and what we think about. As Kant demands, with his schema of empirical realism and transcendental idealism. If being, the real, is the asymptotic transcendent target of understanding, if we understand that reason encounters being, but cannot grasp it, totalize it, dissolve it, that reason finds its limit in being, then we can learn about being. We can trace its contours through our own interactions with it. This is the dignity of human reason. Dwelling in imminence, we can strive toward the transcendent. That is, we can study both being and becoming if we give primacy to being, to the great I am. We find in this way space for human inquiry, for science itself. If, by contrast, we abandon being in favor of becoming, as Hegel did, we risk losing not only being as an independent reality, but all foundation for reason itself. Benchevenga clarifies the distinction between Hegel and Kant in this previously quoted passage. When Hegel claims that being is the concept, or is spirit, he is not just saying that being is dynamic. He is saying that being is dynamism. His view is not that there is always change going on, but rather that there is nothing other than change. Some, among them Kant, have argued that because there is change, we must be able to think of something that is permanent through it. And, of course, we might eventually convince ourselves, if we are Kant, that this absolutely permanent thing, or matter, is an unrealizable rational ideal. But here the important thing is, Hegel does not share any such conclusion or ideal. There is, for him, nothing to which spiritual movement happens. Spiritual movement is the whole. End quote. Human reason, then, is an epiphenomenon of spirit. And science, which purportedly studies being, is another of those self-deceptive structures with which Hegelian philosophy is rife. Human beings are the tools of dialectical logic, of spirit, not unique beings who use logic, who are reasonable, rational. The inversion should now be clear. It is now time to cash out the claim that Hegel sets up the Western world for a radical extremism through this imbalanced value inversion. Though, as we said in Good Hegel, 
He was not himself an extremist. The inversion is what we have discussed from the first in Bad Hegel, the denial of transcendence. Is value real or mere appearance? Is it something to which we apply logic or a byproduct of dialectical logic, of spirit itself? Our Western legacy is built on transcendence, on approaching the mystery, upon the idea that value, and more particularly morality, is a part of the universe itself, something we must acknowledge, something to which we are, without choice, subject. Like the law of gravitation, material and spatiotemporal existence. The highest value is God, and all other value finds its hierarchical being in Him. Logically, when we deny transcendence and adopt a process metaphysics, this foundational bedrock of Western culture is not merely undermined, as Hegel once again manifests the pattern of bad faith in relation to his own philosophy, but utterly decimated. The logic of Hegel's position will not, ultimately, stand for stability, for the study of what is science, for respect for the traditions and cultures that history has bequeathed us, the contradiction between Hegelian humility and his radical denial of transcendence cannot stand. Nietzsche saw the radical implications of this value inversion in the gay science, quoting this famous passage. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? he cried. I will tell you. We have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns? Is there still any up? Or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods, too, decompose. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? 
What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. In this passage, Nietzsche displays unparalleled prophetic insight, and we should keep his message in mind as we lay out the remaining points of Bad Hegel. Today, and in what follows, what it means to deny transcendence and embrace imminence alone, to kill God. As we pointed out in episode 36, The Good Hegel, so long as Hegel's spirit assumes the position of supreme value, Maintaining a stable center, an apex with a corresponding hierarchy of value, the structures of Western civilization appeared stable too. This deceptive stability allowed Hegel a degree of conservatism in ethics and social structure. We call this Hegelian humility, as even though he placed himself in God's seat, he confined himself to description, to an account of the history of the dialectic to his time. Hegel played the immanentist game, that is, according to the rules of the old regime, when transcendence held sway before he killed God. Ultimately, however, As Jacques Derrida will emphasize, this, or any other center, cannot hold in dialectical imminence, and the unitary Hegelian reason, or spirit, begins to fragment even before Hegel's death in 1831. We will no longer have the dialectic, but rather a collection of of dialectics, each vying for preeminence and the position of the philosopher of eminence, Hegel's position, will fragment into a plurality of fiefdoms, each having an equal claim to absolute understanding. This we will call Hegelian relativism, and it becomes an extreme relativism as there is no way of valuing different claims against one another from within imminence. As in imminence, all value is relative to its respective center. Perhaps we should recall here Nietzsche's prescient remarks about God's decomposition. It does not happen all at once. Instead, there is a slow but steady degradation a progressive decline and disintegration. We have survived for a long time being sustained on those remains. 
the superstructures and legacies of Western civilization and Christianity so loudly decried and resented by our intelligentsia, those who know better. But when they have completed the burial of the transcendent, what darkness and horrors we will confront are only prefigured in the totalitarian nightmares of the 20th century. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.